Good morning, Cross Point. As kids are uh, making their way out, I'm just mindful, like having, just standing back there singing that song. Our agendas are the routine that church can be. Sing two songs, sermon. I just want to give us a moment of uncomfortable silence to just quiet our hearts and minds. This expectation that we're here to, to hear from God, to be together in community, to sit under his word. It's hard to sing a song like that and then just continue with the service as planned. And so I just want to give a moment for each of us to, to quiet our hearts, expectations, whatever you came here with this morning, what does it look like to lay that down with an expectation for God to do and say as he will this morning? Lord, I'm mindful in my own heart of wanting to sing the words of the song with honesty. Have I come with my agenda? Lord, I just want to meet with you. Lord, what we need, what I need, is to hear your voice, to feel your touch to know the reality of your peace and your presence. So Lord, would you do that in our midst? Lord, as we sit under the authority of your word, as we sing in response, Lord, help our hearts perceive the reality of your presence. Help our ears hear and our minds perceive the, the truth of who you are and all that you've done. Lord, and we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to invite you this morning to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. We're actually going to be completing and ending our series through Philippians. So even though it's Palm Sunday, and this is the day when we sing and we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus, this is the beginning of what's known as Holy Week knowing that Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, knowing that by the end of the week he would be crucified. Not that his life was taken from him, but that he voluntarily laid down his life to purchase your freedom and salvation with his blood. And the next Sunday, as we get to, to sing and celebrate together the reality and the power of the, trans, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is continuing to display its power through the transformation of lives. That's what we're going to get to sing and celebrate uh, next week. And so as you turn there, I do just want to step back for a quick announcement. The first is in January, we introduced 
and, and told you about Justin and Anthony, who we were submitting as elder candidates. Now, candidacy is not the same thing as a sitting elder. The, these are people who have been walking with us, these two gentlemen, since the fall of last year. And this has been a season to discern and, and test their theological alignment, their uh, character, um, their, their capacity in this season, their calling as elders. And the elders are wanting to submit them for your consideration to install in two weeks. But this is a time when we want to hear from you. That you're, you can kind of respond in two ways, but we want to hear, like, do you affirm this? This is a big decision for a church, to install elders, leaders in the church. And that we want to hear, do you affirm these gentlemen? You've been watching them. You've been hearing them. Like, do you affirm them being installed as elders here? You can kind of let us know, <laughs> right? But we want to hear from all of our partners, like, to let us know, like you can email us at elders at xpoint.com. We're also going to be sending out a, a link where you can respond because we want to hear your voice. My preference would be is if you could respond by the end of this week um, as we prepare for that, but we wanted to give time for that response. So we want to hear from you and we're excited about this next step because Justin in particular will be installed as an elder of um, church planting as God willing. He is looking to plant uh, in January of next year in Hunter's Creek, New City Fellowship. So I wanted to let you know, because this is Holy Week, one of the things that, that often happen is there's an opportunity to sing and celebrate together the reality of the crucifixion, the weight of that on Good Friday. He's going to be hosting a service at 7 p.m. Um, for then. And I just want to encourage you, this is a great opportunity. If you're planning or wanting to celebrate Good Friday, I want to encourage you to participate in their Good Friday service. Um, you can talk to Justin, he's back there in the black t-shirt like usual. You can talk with him after the service, or you can go to newcityorl.com. It's .com, right? Because I don't think in the graphic you can't read those. I couldn't read those. And yes, I have bifocals, but I still couldn't read them. Like that didn't <laughs> work. But you can talk to him, to RSVP, because he's praying for a larger space or, or you're all just going to invade um, their place on Friday. But I want to encourage you, if you're looking for a service, to participate there. So we are concluding our series in Philippians as we've walked through this book together. It's, it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian church as a thank you note. It was, he had received support from the church in Philippi. He doesn't know if he's ever going to see them again. And he's writing a thank you note. And there's kind of a lens through which I want us to walk through these verses. And it's through the people that are involved in them. One, we have the apostle Paul. Paul is, is presently in prison. He helped plant this church, just as Justin's looking to plant a church in the Hunter's Creek area. Paul planted this church in Philippi. But then he continued his missionary journey and he planted other churches. Now he finds himself in prison in Rome and, and this church in Philippi had sent support to the Apostle Paul. And so he's writing this letter and he's like, thank you for that support in my time of need. You're going to hear the, the name Epaphroditus because what happened is there was these people from the church that they're saying, hey, let's send this man along with the group to go to be a blessing in presence to the Apostle Paul and bring a financial gift. And so we're going to hear about the provision from 
the church in Philippi. And then ultimately it's going to conclude with God's provision that all of this has been from the hand of God. All of this has been through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so I want us to walk through this passage, looking at it through this lens of Paul's need, the Philippians partnership, and then ultimately God's provision. So look with me in verse 10. We're going to begin here this morning. Look at what it says here. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. It's this idea of when intent meets opportunity. See, the Philippian church loved the the, the apostle Paul. They cared for him in the same way that Paul himself cared for the church. They they had this concern for Paul. They had this friendship with Paul. They had this care and desire for the Apostle Paul. They had all these intentions, all these emotions, but they did not have an opportunity to express those feelings. And that's what he's saying. You've arrived, you're concerned. That concern was there, but it had no opportunity until now. See, now there was an opportunity for this church to act on those intentions. Now, here's something we haven't talked about in the context that's important to understand. What was that opportunity? See, we say that opportunity was Paul was in prison, but what does that mean? Why does that matter? How does Paul being in prison present an opportunity for the church in Philippi to support him? It's important to understand the cultural difference in what it meant to be in prison. See, here we think someone's in prison. Yes, that's not good. That's, that's a bad place. It can be hard. It can be dangerous. But they're going to have a bed to sleep in. They're going to be fed. They're going to be given clothes. But in the Roman Empire, none of those things were true. See, in the Roman Empire, they weren't given food. They weren't given clothes. The only way a prisoner would have any food on their plate to eat was if it was given to them by friends or family. The only way that they would have clothes or means to get those things were if it was given to them by friends or family. So when Paul is saying, look, look, I was in need. I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't clothe myself. When I was in prison here, this presented an opportunity for you to act on those good intentions. And you did. And he's like, and I'm grateful for that. Because my present need gave you an opportunity to act on what you feel. But then Paul goes on. He says, now even in that context, even in this place of need, look at what it says in verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. He's like, look, I'm not saying this so that you send more money. Right? Because that's what it could be taken of. Like, hey, I'm in this situation. I have need now. He's like, I'm not saying this because I still have present need. It's not like I need more money. There's another reason why I'm telling you this. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. This is what Paul's driving at contentment. This idea of being at peace. Satisfied, fulfilled, contentment. Socrates said that who is wealthiest? He that is content with the least. For contentment, the same word in the Greek is nature's wealth. 
It's being at peace in your present situation. It it reminded me of a time when my wife's brother-in-law took us out on a sailboat, right? We were out on the water, we were on the sailboat, and there's boats all around us, right? There's speedboats, there's motorboats, there's jet skis, there are other sailboats, and we're sitting out there. And then with a smile, he's like, you know what the difference is between a speedboat and a sailboat? He's like a speedboat. You're always trying to get to the next destination as fast as you can. But the sailboat is the destination. And we just sat there on the lake, allowing the wind to pull us as it would. Joy wasn't in what was to come. It wasn't in the next thing. It wasn't in getting to the next destination. It was in the present moment in the the present reality. It's a great picture in my mind of contentment. Like, would you consider yourself more like a speedboat or a sailboat? Like, I know me, I'm a speedboat. (laughs) It's like how I like to think about myself. It's like the next thing, like the next technology, the, the, the next opportunity, the next thing on the horizon. It's like this driven sense of what's next, what's next. It'll be better than what's now. It's this futuristic perspective of, of the world or where are things going, not just an understanding of where we're at now in the moment. And then I got thinking about it. I was like, oh, great. So now I'm discontent with contentment. And then I just started going down a spiral like, what does contentment look like? Why isn't it natural? It feels foreign to me. My brain tends to just go to what's next. And that's where I kind of had comfort in what Paul was saying. Because look at what he says in verse 11. For I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. It was something he learned. It wasn't something natural. It wasn't this natural spiritual discipline or disposition. It was something he learned. And look at how he learned it. I want you to imagine the Apostle Paul in school. God is the teacher. Paul is the student. And the lesson is this. For I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. See, I know how to be brought low. I set in the lesson of being brought low. When people didn't esteem me, when people didn't think very much of me, where I didn't even meet the radar of status, of even being low on the status, I know what that's like. And I learned the lesson to be content when I'm brought low. I've set in that lesson. I know how to abound, how to be content when I'm abounding, when I'm success, when people know my name, when everything's going my way, I've learned what it is to be content and not just strive for more. I sat in the university of contentment as God taught me what it meant to be content. When I was low, when I abound, in any, into every circumstance, I have learned, I have been taught, I have received the lesson of facing plenty and of hunger. I know what it's like to be full after eating at a Brazilian steakhouse, right? Like, I know the meat sweats. And I was was content. I just had that for, like, my birthday dinner. That's why that's an illustration. (laughs) 
But I also know what it's like when I'm hungry. When you, when you drink a glass of water just so your stomach stops growling, when the best you can hope for is like rice and beans and that's it. Like, I know what that's like. I've set in the school of both of those and I've learned what it is to be content. I know what it's like to have abundance. When I have money in the emergency fund and I feel safe and secure, and I know what it's like to be in need when people have dropped off groceries at my house. He set in the school of contentment. And he learned it. And then it's this classic verse. I, I believe it is the most misapplied, misunderstood verse in probably all of Scripture. And it's this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, we, we love this verse. We put it on things. I typed it into Google and then I looked for images. Right? These are the images that came up. You'll see it up on the screen. Like, right? Like, I can be a superhero. The boy with the cape, do you see it? Like, there's the basketball, I think, on the bottom right. Like, I can be a superstar. I can lift this max weight. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we kind of view God then like a blank check. Like he's just given me this blank check and whatever I want, whatever desire you have, all you have to do is write in that amount through him who strengthens me and you'll get whatever you want. That's not what it's saying. <laughs> right? If we put this into context, we're going back to school. Like, imagine the last time you were in your most discontent phase. Maybe it's when you were surrounded by accolades, but you were just wanting more, more, more. Maybe it's when you've had nothing, no recognition, no money, cupboards empty at home. When was the last moment you were the most discontent? And then I want you to imagine yourself there holding an empty glass. Now that glass being empty is a, is a sign of discontentment. And, and, there, and there's many things that can bring about discontentment, right? Like you can be surrounded by people, surrounded by money, and yet desiring more. Like I just want more. It's not, a, it's not enough. And we hunger and we strive for more and more. Or maybe you're not surrounded by abundance. Maybe it's just like a desert and like that tumbleweed flying by is like a single dollar bill floating in front of you and you're just like, I'm completely discontent. I need more, God. It's not enough. When was that last time? Imagine yourself standing there with an empty cup driven by thirst, striving for more. And now I want you to imagine in that same situation, Jesus walking up to you and pouring into that glass living water. And it's filled to the brim and not a single thing around you has changed. But you're satisfied. Like your heart is at peace and all that turmoil, all that striving, all that angst has just dissipated. And it's okay. This is what the verse means. I can do all things in any situation, in much or in little, 
because of him who strengthens me. It has this aspect of God pouring into us his strength, his peace, his presence. What you can do is not just become a superhero or lift your next weight or get that next job or whatever blank check you want to write it for. It means in whatever situation you're in right now, with nothing more, nothing different, in his strength, you can experience contentment. What lesson are you presently learning in the school of contentment right now? This is the question that's before us. And then it's here. As we see Paul's need, yes, he's in need. And we see this this thing, it's like, yes, I have need and you've helped meet this need and I'm grateful for that. No, I don't have more need. I'm learning to be content, whether it's much or little. And whatever that situation is, God is teaching me contentment. And then he goes on to remind them of what it means to partner together in the gospel. What does this mean? What has he seen and experienced, Paul, in relationship with the church in Philippi? And this is where he says then in verses 14 through 16, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble and, and you, you, Philippians, yourselves know that, that in the beginning of the gospel, when, when I left Macedonia, which is the region where the church of Philippi is, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and, and then again. We see what this partnership has been. It was kind of you to share in my trouble. Trouble that wasn't theirs. Trouble wasn't of their making. They could have just said, not my problem. Sounds like Paul's having a really rough time. We should pray for him. But they entered into his struggle. They shared in it. They participated in it. Their intention was met with opportunity and they acted. And Paul even uses the generosity of the Philippians as an example to another church in Corinth. He writes that church and he's like, let me tell you about this church in Philippi because I want you to be encouraged by what God's doing there so that they would act in the same way. And this is what he wrote to this other church. Like, hey, we want you to know, brothers, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. See there again in this region of Macedonia, which now we know was he's talking about the church in Philippi. For in a, and just listen to the extreme aspect of this language. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. We see these two things. So here they are in this abundance of joy. Like they're excited, they're ready. And they have no money. So you have great excitement, no money coming together. And what overflowed in that was generosity on their part. But he goes on to say, for they gave according to their means. It didn't mean they had deep pockets and they're like, "Ah, I have a little bit of extra change. Here you go. It says they gave according to, to what God had given them. Some even chose to give more, he says. They begged us. 
for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And we didn't expect it. But they gave themselves first to God and then to God's will in what he was doing. Paul was suffering. Paul has seen this and Paul is commending them and saying, thank you for your partnership. But he gives a definition of partnership I want us to see. What is this true partnership in verse 15? At the end there, it says, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. In giving and receiving. See, sometimes we tend to think when it comes to topics of generosity, we think about, oh, it's transactional. You have need, I have something you need, I give to you. This, this $10 was mine and now this $10 is yours. Transaction done, we've partnered to meet this need. But that's not how Paul is talking about partnership. He's talking about partnership. There is something that is in both giving and receiving. It's something that's in both. And if we think about what true friendship, true partnership, true fellowship is, I think it's something that each and every one of us would desire, but we also resist at the same time. Like we long to have this deep relational connection with others. I think we, we long for this. We want this, but we resist it because we don't want to be the person in need, right? We want to be the person who can give, because that allows us to be in control. There can be this sense of superiority or or even just, I don't wanna be vulnerable. I don't wanna have to be in need. That's not a comfortable feeling. I don't wanna be dependent on somebody else. I'm self-sufficient, I got this under control, but I'll help somebody else. But what Paul is calling true partnership, true fellowship with one another is one in which we give and we receive. Something that, that is mutually beneficial. It, it reminds me of a time, it was a young couple who, when my wife and I were serving as missionaries, as church planters in North Africa, I was serving there as a team leader and there was a young couple who came to visit. And they wanted to start a new team among a nomadic people group. Now, I don't know if you know this, but nomads are infamously known to be closed off. Like it is a very closed community, extremely difficult to build trust, to build relationship in this community, regardless of which region of the world they're in. Nomads just naturally have this, these closed off relationships among the families. So this young couple through some connections was able to go and stay with one of the families there to try to build relationships. Often missionaries will learn animal husbandry, vac, uh, doing vaccines for animals and, and different things in order to be a blessing and a benefit in these communities. And so this couple went, they stayed with this family for a little bit, about a week, and then they were ready to go. They were ready to leave. And and you know, and they're, they're making their pitch, they're trying to build a relationship, and it went okay, nothing great, nothing terrible. But then something happened. They were getting ready to leave, and, and the wife became extremely ill. Like, instant projectile vomit, and everything that comes with, with that, and the fever, and body aches, and just went down and could not travel. And this family slowly began to nurse her back to health. 
and cared and loved on her and took care of this couple. And then when she was well enough, they got ready to send her on the way. But now something had fundamentally changed. They weren't just acquaintances. They were like, no, you're, you're my daughter now. You're part of the family. I believe that God allowed this young lady to get sick, to open the door for a true friendship that has paved the way for the gospel to be proclaimed among this people group. Because there's something that changes, isn't there? When we're vulnerable and in need, and we don't just come with the answers, we don't just come with all the solutions, but all of a sudden we're in need, and someone's there and they meet that, and then they have a need, and I'm able to meet that, and it's like, oh, this is something that's shared. This isn't just, this is what Paul is talking about. This is partnership, a partnership of giving and receiving. But he goes on to say, again, he's like, I'm just wanting to make sure. I I don't want you to think I'm saying this so that you think I need more money. I'm not asking for more. That's not the point of why Paul is saying this. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift. I'm not seeking more again. Same as what he said in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need now. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. There's something else I want you to see here. Not that I need more because I've already received full payment, it says in verse 18. And more. I've received what you gave and you've given me more than I need. And I'm grateful that. I'm well supplied. I have everything I need. I've received it all. Epaphroditus gave me everything you gave him to give to me. The gifts that you sent. But here's what he wants them to see. It's not just that. See, that, that aspect of giving and receiving, there's something more to it. It's a fragrant offering. It's a sacrifice, acceptable and, and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory of Christ Jesus. It's a fragrant offering offering. It's a sacrifice. This is temple language, right? This is going in and burning incense that rises to the nostril of God. That's a sweet aroma. This action of, of their intent being expressed in action through the opportunity is actually worship to God. Yes, it met the needs of Paul. It joined them together in this gospel fellowship and partnership that only this church was willing to engage in with the apostle Paul. But it was more than that. There was something that was credited to their account, credited that they acted on their intention. And this rose as a sweet aroma to Christ. It was a sacrifice. And it's a a pleasing and acceptable and good sacrifice to God. Not just to the person they were helping, but to God. God is not impressed with our words and intentions, but our actions of love and generosity as opportunity would give. It rises as worship to God. And this is where then we see 
God's provision. We've seen Paul in need and yet content. We've seen the the partnership that the Philippian church was willing to enter into and provision for Paul, but how that was more than just this gift of provision, but it was ultimately worship to God. And then here we see that it is God who ultimately provides through all of it. Like, think about it. These are the last words that the Apostle Paul could give to the church in Philippi. He doesn't know if he's going to live and die. He's already said this. If I live, great. If I die, that's even better because then I'm going to be with Christ. I don't know what's going to happen. This may be the last words he writes to the church. And he's like, I want you to know what this is all about, what it means to follow the example of Christ, to be partnered together in the gospel, and what that means of giving and receiving. And ultimately, all of this is about and from and to Jesus Christ. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It is ultimately from him and for him and to him. So what does that mean? Who is God in the context of this kind of partnership that gives and receives? I want you to see, it's kind of this, I'm a visual person, so it's a diagram that you're going to see up on the screen. These points one through four, of just looking at this passage, who is God in this? What does it mean that he provides? He supplies our every need. This is the top. This is number one. This is what we see here in verse 19. And my God will, will supply every need of yours. Everything you have is from God whether that's much or that's little, it is from God. But why would God not fully supply some of your needs? Like that's gotta be a question in some of your minds. Like, okay, everything's provided by God. I could use a little more. (laughs) Like I wanna be content, but I'd also like some food on the table. Like that's a real question. So what do we do with this? And then, so here's the thing. We see something that God's doing in us personally and something that God's doing in us collectively. See, personally, he's teaching us contentment. In your present situation, what is your level of contentment? Are you striving for the next thing? Or what does God want you to see now presently of what it means to be satisfied in him regardless of your situation? So we see that in verse 11. But then we also see what true partnership looks like in giving and and receiving, that God wants us to help one another. Have you ever thought that part of the reason why we may have need is because God wants to cultivate that kind of gospel fellowship among us? Like maybe part of your need matches with somebody else's abundance because it's not just God meeting your need, but meeting your need even beyond what you think you need because you don't just need more money in the account. You don't just need more food on the table. We need deeper relationship with one another and he's cultivating us into a community in the way that he's both meeting your need and that deeper felt need for community is by your present situation. 
that God is doing something beyond what we can even fathom. And sometimes the answers we come up with are far too simplistic. And God is at work at a much, much deeper level. That God is the provider. He's teaching us contentment in where we're at with much or little. He wants us to be sharing in giving and receiving. And God is pleased and he is worshiped and he is glorified as that comes about. It is from him, through him, and to him. The whole process. So here's what I want to close with. It's this question. As we look at this diagram, where is this cycle, where is this process currently stuck in your life? Like this is a process that repeats, that flows. My question is, where is it stuck? Is this flowing? Is this happening in your life? Or is it stuck someplace? See, it might be stuck at stage one. That God can and does supply my, my every need. This is an aspect of belief. This is what you believe in your heart and mind. Do you believe that's true? When it says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And if it's like, then is God poor? Because why am I? Like, is your thinking, is your heart stuck because you're like, I don't know if he supplies every need. I don't know if I can trust him. I have to go out here and hustle and work hard or it's not going to happen because I can't trust him. Now, yes, we're called to go and work hard. But there's this sense of are we, is that coming from a place in trust in God or is this coming from our striving and laboring and oh no, I, I need to make this happen in a place of discontentment. This, that's an aspect of belief that you may be stuck. But what about attitude? How is God currently teaching you to experience contentment? Like what, you're in the school of contentment right? My question is, I don't know if you're in abundance or in need right now, but either way, there is an attitude of contentment. Because let's be honest, when do you tend to be content or trusting in God? Like sometimes we can have abundance and it's like, well, I would be content if I had a lot, but do we really see that in the world? We see people who have a lot and want more. And, and it tends to be when I have a full belly and extra money in the emergency account, I'm not really trusting in God because I have a backup plan of my own. Right? So let's be honest, we can be discontent and have a lot and just want more. Or we can have a little and be facing discontentment. Where is your contentment level? And we've already talked about, the application here isn't to like, oh, I need to go be more content. I'm discontent with my level of discontentment. Let me try hard. It's like, okay, God, I have this empty cup. I need you to strengthen me to be content where I'm at. I don't know what you're doing and I don't know why you're doing it, but I trust that you're good and I need your strength to be content. That's how we pray in response. But some of us, I think, need to check our attitudes as to where we're at 
in our present situation. And then it's action. Like it's what Paul was talking about. Like we have great intent. Like have you ever thought, man, if I ever won the lottery, like when, when you get into like these mega millions, oh, I'd be so generous. I would, I would give this and I would donate that. And we think about all these great things we would do, but God gives us a hundred bucks and we're like, I kind of need that. Thank you. Right? We have all these great intentions of what we would do, but when it comes to actually doing it, then not so much. How would we, is the process stuck there? Sometimes I have found the greatest generosity from those who have had the least. We lived for a decade on the generosity of others and still do in many ways with, with the church. But as a missionary, when you're overseas and it's like, it is only through the generous contributions of others that we're going to be able to continue that ministry. I have often found it is those who have had the least that understand and have an abundance of generosity. I don't understand why, but there is a reality there. So let me ask you this, and I want to talk about generosity in two ways. One is obvious, and this is how we tend to think about it. A joyful generosity, this abundance of joy, meeting extreme poverty and an overflowing generosity. A joyful generosity, sharing out of what God has given you, whether much or little, is the process here stuck because you have a joyless greed because you really aren't trusting God to provide, you're, you're holding every nickel and dime, and you're afraid to be generous in any way because it's all up to you? Or are you saying, how can I be generous with what God has given? Whether much or little, how can I be generous? There's one aspect here of giving. There's another aspect I wanna hit on receiving. Because I think some of you have a joyless pride. Because I would much rather be in the position of giving than having to receive. My pride at times makes it hard to say, I, I actually have a need here in this moment. Do we have the same joyful generosity in sharing with one another our needs or do we have a joyless pride that's holding that in, that's not allowing people to help us? Because that makes us vulnerable. But what God's saying is that is actually the reality of true gospel partnership. This is what fellowship looks like, to give and to receive. And not only are you being generous with whatever God has provided, but you're being generous in your life of transparency of I need help. It's both. Are you stuck there? And then it comes back to belief that this aspect, living this out is worship to God. You know, this reality of living this out in gospel fellowship is how the world will know that, that Christ is who, who he says he is because of your love, because of your partnership. This is a demonstration, something that the apostle Paul used to challenge another church to say, I've seen this here. Look at what God's done. Match that. Live that. This is a reality. God is glorified. 
And then it comes all the way back around. He's the one who provides. Where is this stuck in our lives? And will we look to him to be our strength? Let's pray.